Okay, welcome to, I guess this is kind of like a podcast. Anyway, there's so much good material in 1 Peter and 1 Peter chapter 4 that I thought I would do this little sermon devotion uh, for you to listen to. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4, reading at verse 13. And remember, he's talking all about suffering. And Peter says, but rejoice. I can't believe that. In so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So, rejoice in so far as you share whose sufferings? Christ's sufferings. When you're going through it, look to Jesus who has gone through it. He was beloved, you are beloved. He found a way to rejoice, you need to find a way to rejoice. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also what? Be glad. Yes, if you are what? Insulted, mocked, name called, slandered. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now, does it feel like that? No, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like you're blessed, but the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be what? Ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. So the first thing Peter says is, okay, I want you to think about Jesus. He was beloved. Did it look like he was beloved? No, because what did he endure? He endured suffering and slander. He's talking here about Jesus Christ and suffering and slander. Did Jesus Christ, while he walked on the earth, did he suffer? Absolutely. Was he slandered? Absolutely. So here are a few things they said about Jesus, and they still do. They said he was a glutton. That meant he was an addict. They said he was a drunkard. That meant he was an alcoholic. They also said that he was a friend of sinners. He hangs out with some really shady characters. They also said he was illegitimately born, which means that his mother might have slept around with lots of guys they didn't know who his father was. They dragged his mother into the fight. That's pretty bad. The religious leaders said that he was demon-possessed. He was also arrested as a criminal. Now, can you imagine today Jesus in orange jumpsuit? They also recorded and reported that his family thought he'd lost his mind, disowned him for a while. He was then arrested. He was mocked, king of the Jews. A crown of thorns was put on his head in mockery. And while he's dying on the cross, they slandered and insulted him and said, look, he saved others. He can't even save himself. Jesus was beloved. Jesus suffered and was slandered. To be beloved of God means 
to suffer and experience slander in this world. Now, Jesus, if you looked at him, did he look like a guy who had joy and rejoicing and gladness? No. Isaiah the prophet, Old Testament book, written around 700 years before Jesus, prophesied about Jesus and called him the suffering servant, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, familiar with suffering. The Bible says he was beloved, but he endured suffering and slander. The Bible says that he had joy. In Luke 10, verse 21, it says that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, that his emotional disposition was one of joy, that part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy, that Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God. He had joy, but here's the difference. There's a difference between joy in your life and enjoying your life. You don't have to enjoy your life to have joy in your life because your joy is in the Lord. It's not in your life. So the joy of the Lord is your strength. It doesn't say the joy of your life is your strength. Jesus had joy. It even says in Hebrews 12 verse 2, look to Jesus, the founder or author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What he's saying is this, for Jesus there was not joy in his suffering, but there was joy through his suffering. Here's the cross where he is going to suffer and die in your place for your sin out of love for you. And on the other side of his death, his worst day, his greatest suffering, his most intense slandering that he experienced and endured, he knew that if he went through that on the other side, God the Father would be glorified and that you would become one of the beloved. Now, how many of us love Jesus because he went through that so we could share in his title of beloved? And that's amazing. So what he's saying is this, you can have joy, not in your circumstances, but in what God will do through your circumstances. The blessing is on the other side of the suffering. I think it was Winston Churchill who said, when you're in hell, keep going. You've got to go through it to get to the blessing. God's joy, God's grace, God's presence, God's peace, God's power is oftentimes on the other side of suffering and slander and sorrow. And the reason that many people don't arrive there is they stop in it. They don't persevere through it. Jesus does. And this is amazing. When you look at Jesus, think about it. When you look at Jesus, would you have assumed that he was powerful? He's broke, he's homeless, he's single, he's harassed, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's murdered. He does not look powerful. But what he is, according to the Bible, is he's meek. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit enabling him to endure evil, for love of you and me. And here's how he explains it. 
he goes to say the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you in your suffering, in your slander, in your sorrow. That the weight, and that's the word there for glory, it literally means a heaviness, a weightiness to that word glory. And what he is saying is, as life burdens you with greater weight, the Spirit of God empowers you with greater strength. It's almost like a teeter-totter. It's almost like a counterbalance of weight that is so heavy, it's going to bury me. No, no, no. The Spirit of God is heavier, and He's going to lift me up. Just think of a teeter-totter. How many of you have been through hell, and the Spirit of God has sustained you in a way, well, that frankly seemed supernatural, in a way that was inexplicable, in a way that earnestly, at the beginning of your journey, you would have never thought possible. This is why the children of God who undergo the worst suffering, the worst slander, the worst sorrow, oftentimes experience the greatest presence, power, and person of the Spirit of God. That's why when they find themselves going through it, and on the other side of it, it's, they say it's the worst thing I've ever been through. But you know what? I don't know if I would trade it for anything because I met God deeper and in a new way. And I know that I know that I'm beloved. This is the hope of the believer. And what it tells us, the Holy Spirit of glory of God rests on you. Rests. This is constant. This is ongoing. This is abiding. It says in multiple gospels that Jesus was baptized. The Spirit of God came to rest on him. And one of the gospels says, Peter's quoting, the Spirit of God rested on Jesus. And what that means is that the rest of Jesus' life is lived by the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is that as you will follow Jesus, the Spirit of God will rest on you in power as the Spirit of God rested on Jesus in power. If the Holy Spirit is in you, and with you, and for you, whatever is ahead of you is not more powerful than the Spirit of God that is for you, with you, in you, and through you. The worse you're going through, the greater the Holy Spirit shows up to empower you to endure it. That, think about it, that's the story of Jesus. And that's the story of those who follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Everything that Jesus endured was unjust. Some of what you and I endure, wow, we've caused it ourselves. And what I've seen is that God has been completely, totally, utterly, miraculously, unexpectedly faithful. For those of you who don't see the path forward, I'm telling you, these verses are true. Trust the one who knows the path forward. Now there may be something else coming, I hope not, but here's what I want to testify publicly. It's not what you're going through, but it's the presence of God with you 
that makes all the difference. I would rather be in hell with the Holy Spirit than in heaven without him. It is the power of the presence of God that sustains the believer. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but he should glorify God in that name. Here's what he's saying. To be a Christian is ultimately to be stereotyped and slandered. That is part of our suffering and it was part of the suffering of Jesus. Therefore, it is part of the suffering of Christians. And what he says is when you are slandered, he does not say if, he says when you are slandered, and he says to suffer as a Christian, and that word for us, Christian is fairly positive, but in their day, in the first century, it was intensely negative. The word Christian was a slang and a slander word that critics and the enemies of Christianity called us. You guys think you're little Jesus. It was negative. You only find the word Christian three times in the New Testament. This is one of them. And the Christians decided, you know what? I'm not Jesus, but I'm trying to be like Jesus by the grace of God. So you can use it as a slandered term, and I'll use it as a worship term. I am a Christian. I am with Christ. Yes, I trust in Christ. Yes, I follow Christ. Yes, I will be judged by Christ. Yes, I was created by Christ. Yes, the most important person in my life is not me. It's Jesus Christ. So we'll take the term to describe us. Christian. And what Peter says, if you're going to fly the team flag Jesus, Expect some name-calling, expect some slander, expect some misrepresentation. Whew. This happened in the early church. They called us atheists back then because we wouldn't worship the emperor. And they heard that we had Holy Communion and we were eating the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And they decided to call us cannibals. So we are atheistic cannibals. And that was the negative narrative that was set. And once the negative narratives was set, all of the information gets filtered through that negative narrative. And it's happened to Christians in the past. And it's happening to Christians right now. And so Peter says, when suffering and slander comes, don't suffer for doing evil to see what can happen is you get opposed for doing what is right this can be from family friends neighbors co-workers and what you decide is I'm tired of being opposed therefore I'm gonna change teams I'm gonna I'm going to say or do what everybody else is saying and doing I'm gonna use their hashtags. I'm gonna march in their parades. I'm gonna share in their outrage because when the mob comes with their pitchforks and their lanterns, I wanna get out of the way and join them. And he says, when you are suffering, don't be sinning. Because sometimes when we're suffering, well, we're very, very selfish and it can lead to sinning. I've been through a lot. I've heard a lot. I've endured a lot. Therefore, I have a right think to rebel 
That's deception, and it leads to self-destruction. And he says, when you are slandered, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Jesus wasn't ashamed of you. You should be you should not be ashamed of him. And one of the ways that we have shame for Jesus is that we start to edit the parts of the Bible that everyone else finds offensive. Or we hide our Christianity and we make it as private as possible, not a public matter. The problem with that is our faith is not private, it's public. The things that we think about life and marriage and family and religious freedom and prayer and the rights of parents to raise their kids, all based on the Word of God, all that's very, very public. It's not private. It's not just Jesus in my heart, but it's Jesus rules over all of my life. So Peter says, when you do suffer, rejoice and be glad and glorify God. Rejoice and be glad, that's your emotions. Glorify God, that's your will. Now, you have jurisdiction, you have dominion over your emotions and your will. How do we know this? Because Jesus says, love your enemies. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. And Jesus says, yes, you can. Love your enemies. He commands it. Meaning, you do have dominion, jurisdiction, God-given authority over your emotions. You could choose to rejoice and be glad, not ignoring your circumstances, but finding the power of God and the presence of God in your circumstances. And he says, rejoice and be glad and glorify God. That's your will, making decisions that honor him in the midst of suffering. I've used this analogy before. It's like sailing. Your emotions are like a sail, very powerful, okay? Your will is like a rudder. If you just let your emotions direct you, you will be all over the place and headed for destruction. Imagine a sailboat with no rudder. You're like, that's powerful. Yes, headed towards the rocks as fast as possible, right? But that's not progress, that's self-destruction. When you're feeling the strongest emotions, you need to be exercising the most God-directed decision-making. What he says is when you are suffering, when you are slandered, when you are sorrowful, when you're going to be very emotional, rejoice and be glad, find God in the midst of it, and then choose by the decisions of your will to glorify God, to do what is right in God's sight. Use the rudder of your will. The issue is you need to trust in the word of God to direct you into the future that God intends for you. Now we will be slandered and here's why. Because there's team Jesus and there's team Satan and there is heckling from that side. Let me make this very clear. Team Jesus and team Satan are at war in this world. If you are on team Jesus, what are you going to have with team Satan? You're going to have conflict, slander, suffering, opposition. If you change teams and go to team Satan, you will have conflict and problems from God. The question is not, are you going to be in the fight? 
question is, which side of the fight will you be on? Are you going to have a problem with God? Or you're going to side with God? And as a result, have problem with the demonic forces that are at work in the world. That's why Paul left us with these words from Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll leave them with you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God.